Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi. We're not going to do a full Device Talks weekly podcast this week. Instead, I'm going to share our most recent episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast, which came out on Wednesday. I'm sure you'll enjoy that. I did want to invite you to our uh, Device Talks Tuesdays. This coming Tuesday, I'll be talking with Adam Sachs of Vicarious Surgical. It'll be a live interview. I'll be asking my questions, but uh, if you register, you can ask questions of your own. And uh, I'll read them to Adam and it'll be a great, great discussion. So uh, go to devicetalks.com to uh, register for our upcoming uh, live podcast interview with Adam Sachs, the CEO of Vicarious Surgical. Uh, we'll be back next week with a Device Talks weekly podcast. It's a good one. And uh, Chris Newmark will be back the week after that. So uh, stay tuned. Got a lot of great content coming your way. Oh, and one more thing. While you're at devicetalks.com, registering for the live interview on Tuesday, don't forget to check out the agenda for Device Talks West, which is happening on October 19th and 20th in Santa Clara. It's going to be a great couple of days. Hope you have had or will have a uh, wonderful holiday weekend and uh, look forward to, uh, to connecting with you again next week. Thanks. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our second season of Medtronic Talks. In our first season, we spoke with the leaders of Medtronic's operating units to better understand the direction of each of the businesses. Now, with their courses set and clear, we're going to talk to the engineers, scientists, physicians, and other experts who are executing on these strategies. We'll still keep a tight focus on each of Medtronic's businesses, but we are going to get a lot deeper into these stories. Let's go. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. Today, we're talking with two leaders from Medtronic's Cardiovascular Diagnostics and Services Group. We'll be speaking with Leo Rapalini, who is Vice President of Research and Development, and Sanjeev Aurora, who is Vice President of Business Development. We'll talk about how Medtronic's CDS Group is using data to help physicians identify the right therapies for patients. Right now, they're having a lot of success with the Link ICM system, but they're really hoping to uh, look beyond cardiac care. Well, cardiac care is extremely important. There is a broader opportunity in Medtronic's eyes to turn this really uh, fascinating and intricate data collection system to uh, other applications in other specialties. So we'll talk with Leo and Sanjeev about what they're working on and uh, where this platform might go. But before we begin this episode of Medtronic Talks, I'd like to bring in our sponsor, Isometric Micro Molding. I'm here with CEO Donna Bibber. Donna, tell us about Isometric. Sure. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having us here on the podcast. Uh, Isometric Micro Molding is a contract manufacturer specializing in micro-molding and automated ultra-precision assemblies that save and improve lives. Our main market segments we serve are devices and implants for intraocular, diabetes, cardio, robotic surgery, diagnostics, neurology, and drug delivery. Uh, we've been in business since 1991. I started out as a precision mold maker and we have a 40-person mold shop supplying our two-building campus here in New Richmond, Wisconsin. Rounding out our in-house capabilities is micromolding automation, CT scanning, and 3D microprinting. We just opened our new liquid silicone clean room and development labs, 
and now offer full-service, end-to-end development through production, ultra-precision, automated assembly processes for components and platform products. That's great, Donna. Thank you. If you'd like more information about Isometric, stay tuned. We'll have more conversation with Donna in just a few minutes. You can also go to Isometric Micro Moldings website. It is isomicro.com. That's I-S-O-M-I-C-R-O.com. Well, Leo Rapolini and Sanjeev Aurora, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Well, I'm excited to learn more about the cardiovascular diagnostic and services business we highlighted on the podcast last year. But uh, as we're doing this year, we're digging a little deeper in the in the technology. But before we get into that, I always, of course, enjoy finding out about the backgrounds of our uh, of our guests. So, uh, Sanjeev, why don't you uh, take the first go at it? You found your way uh, through a, a long winding path in the med tech industry. You've, you've you've worked on a lot of different projects. I have worked on a lot of different projects. My entrance into MedTech was very, very early in life. And so I started interning at Medtronic my sophomore year in college and it really set stone in terms of what I wanted to do. And at the same time, my dad had a, a heart attack. And so it really kind of set, I loved the focus in on understanding what happened to his heart and diving into cardiac data. You know, my life evolved from the internship at Medtronic. I grew up through the Boston Scientific Organization, guiding Boston Scientific in a variety of different roles and had the chance to spend some time on Wall Street as a med tech analyst in venture capital as a kind of running a life sciences fund, and then wanted to come back into large cap med tech. It's really what I find as being my home. i driven by innovation and kind of the ability to enter and drive in new products in terms of kind of something that's interesting there. I ran the strategy and portfolio group for Covidian's patient monitoring business in Boulder. I headed up the corporate strategy function for Edwards Life Sciences through its growth phase, really kind of the entrance into Taver, and then wanted to return back to home, which was Medtronic and Minneapolis. And so I returned to Medtronic about five years ago in the corporate development team and took on the function of leading the M&A function for the MITG group, which was essentially the old Covidian businesses. And when Jeff took leadership of Medtronic about a year and a half, two years ago, it afforded me the opportunity to go back into a business, which I really wanted to get closer to customer and back into an OU and particularly the cardiovascular side. So joining Julie Brewer's cardiovascular diagnostics team was something that I I found as being kind of a growth opportunity, both personally, as well as something to drive an interesting pillar for Medtronic. Great. No, I definitely am eager to reintroduce folks to the CDS business. Uh, before we move on, I'm just curious, your dad's heart attack, did he recover? Uh, he did. So, you know, he had a long life, you know, another 30 years post-heart attack, but he essentially became a medical device man. He had stents, <laughs> he had uh, a carotid stents, he had a pacer, he had a defib. It's, uh, you know, he was a walking representation of Medtronic. Wow. And uh, I'm sure he was nice. It was, it was uh, welcome having you on hand to explain things to him. And uh, you often hear that, that uh, it's nice to have someone who's in the medical device industry next to you in a doctor's office hearing all, all that needs to be done. Great. And Leo, let's, uh, let's talk about, about your background. You, you got into uh, medtech and bioengineering pretty early, correct? Yes. So actually, I was reflecting and probably I started this journey when I was 19. It was the last day where I could choose my major in the university. <laughs> and I, know, I, I knew I was good at math and, and I could choose you know, math or physics or chemistry or engineering. 
And then I saw this new major that was called biomedical engineering. I read the description of, you know, using the engineering skills and, and practices to, to help make medical devices or, or improvements in medical, in the medical field. And even at 19, and now that I have, you know, three teenage daughters, I know, you know, what it is at that age. I kind of had the hunch that, yeah, you know, I'd like to do something where I can use my talent to, to do something good. And uh, 30 years later, I am still in medical devices. So I, I spent almost 25 years in Medtronic uh, in Europe initially, and then in the U.S. doing both uh, commercial roles and, and in the past decades doing uh, research and development roles. That's fantastic. I was worried there was some kind of coin flip involved or something in, in choosing your 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 path, but it was <laughs> it was more guidance than that. Yeah, although you know, it's 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 now that I see my my kids, it's like you know, at nineteen you really don't know much about it, but you know, it's one of those things that you look back and say, "I'm so glad I did it because I, <laughs> I love this space," and and uh, you know, I had the chance to see some of the effects that you can have on patients. It's it's a really rewarding career. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, it, it is amazing looking back at the decisions you made at that age, and you're like, "What? Why did they let me decide what? that? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm just a kid." Oh, great. So, Sanjeev, let's uh, take this time to reintroduce listeners to the CDS business. Yes. So, I know that you had the chance to interview uh, Julie Brewer about a year ago. I'd love to dive deeper into this as well. As CDS, our purpose, uh, I should say, our CDS really stands for Cardiovascular Diagnostics and Services. Our purpose is turning data into the right therapy. So, what this means is we provide critical diagnostic and disease management information through a family of insertable cardiac monitors. And an ICM is a tiny insertable heart monitor that continuously monitors the heart so that the physician has a reliable snapshot of each patient's cardiac activity. It allows them to diagnose and to monitor patients continuously. An ICM captures heart rhythms for up to five years, provides peace of mind through timely and accurate diagnostic of uh, information of a variety of heart rhythm conditions. And atrial fibrillation is one that we've really developed kind of three different areas that we've utilized as ICM for. It's for essentially atrial fibrillation, pause, which is essentially syncope, or AFib management as well. So if anything is detected that's abnormal, Essentially, a physician follow-up team will be notified through the CareLink network of monitors, and so the physician can follow up accordingly, often with um, therapy or medical management if warranted. So when you're, you're taking the data and you're turning it into the right therapy, the therapy part, is that uh, beyond your, your purview? That's sort of when you connect with another unit within Medtronic? Correct. So, so when we say data is our therapy, what we provide is that insight. We provide the action. We provide the engagement of the next realm of physician to take action. And so think about it, which is, is that if the ICM showed that, yes, there is a pause in the heart that is cardiac related, the therapy that would come from that would be a pacemaker. Or if it was detected that the patient had atrial fibrillation, there's a number of steps that a physician could take. It could be that they're placed on antiarrhythmics. It could be that they are placed on anticoagulants or, you know, if warranted, um, an ablation as well. Interesting. I want to talk about LINK2 and Reveal Link in a, in a moment, but just to follow up on the data a, a little more, I mean, data increasingly, if it's not already king or queen, it will be. Is this focus of yours? Do you see it expanding well beyond the conditions you're currently looking at? Beyond Cardiac, is this sort of building CDS? Well, obviously, C's in the name, but how are you looking to grow sort of your, your data mission? How do you grow beyond where you are today into different areas or different technologies? 
Well, so a couple of things is, is that, is, um, and you hit it on the head, which is today we do see a, a significant opportunity to expand where data is utilized. Historically, our device has been to diagnose the kind of that infrequent event that occurs. So they're trying to find the reason why a syncope or an AF event was there. But broadly, you know, as, as um, we look at being predictive around the ability to manage a disease longer term, that's clearly an opportunity for us. And we see a significant ability to leverage what Medtronic does. Medtronic is really the treatment of many, many, many chronic diseases across our business. And you can envision the utilization of Link in the management of many of those chronic diseases. So the engagement of patients, the engagement of their caregivers, the engagement of physicians to take action on a long-term basis, not just to find it, but to guide therapy over the life of that chronic disease. Fascinating. Well, let's, let's talk a bit about Link. Leo, can we go into the origins of the current iteration of, of Link and the so-called deep miniaturization effort, I love the term, that allowed Link to become as, as small as it is and, and to do all that it does? What was the significant about what Medtronic was able to do with Link? Okay, I'm back with Donna Bibber of Isometric. Donna, Isometric is known for being a world leader in micro-molding. Tell me, what differentiates you from other companies? Well, our differentiation starts with our people and our culture of working to sub-micron tolerances all day, every day. Throughout our 120-employee company, our differentiation can be seen with our core values of transparency that therefore we're partnering with our customers to create their intellectual property, really the top of the value pyramid with truly enabling and platform products. We also saw a need in the industry for a robust system to manage microns. Our registered trademark system we call Microns Matter is our how, and this really high resolution process map, really a PFMEA on steroids, we call it, dissects our process inputs to really address assembly tolerances by working backwards to the deliverable on the drawing. For example, plus or minus eight micron tolerances still require CPK of 1.33. And so we want that histogram to be extremely tight and, uh, you know, a really, really good CPK right, right smack dab in the middle of that histogram. And so for that to happen, we break down our process to say we make at plus or minus eight microns, we'll build the tooling to 20% of that tolerance to give us 80% left in the rest of the process. That 80% will then be looking at 20% of that tolerance in molding, 20% of it in gauge R&R, 10% material lot to lot variation, and then 10% material drying. So really breaking that down to understand where we could find a micron in all those places. And uh, it's really, really uh, high resolution. And this culture of this microns matter is critical. When there's eight cavities of one part, 16 cavities of another, 32 cavities of another, two purchase components and multiple combinations of these tiny, tiny parts fitting into this really small space, so what we use is CT scanning to inspect all of those full factorial combinations. And those CT scans uh, result in STL files that we can provide to our customers. And then they use those STL files to go back to their FEA assumptions, their finite element analysis assumptions, which are very complementary to their clinical trial data that's 
easily understood by the reviewers of their clinical submission. So in conclusion, really, our differentiation is, again, our day-to-day culture of managing submicrons and de-risking projects for medical drug delivery customers using DFM, DFA, and scalability even at the prototype phase that pulls all the way through to pilot and production phases. Thanks, Donna. And finally, could you share with us one of the more recent miniaturization solutions that Isometric has created for a medical device companies, for one of your clients? Oh, gosh. We, we enjoy the amazement of so many parts that seem impossible and seeing them through to production after they are possible. Um, one that comes to mind is uh, we just completed a validation of an automated assembly system that was designed, built, wired, programmed with our in-house automation team. This system assembles multiple 1,000 diameter wires in an eight-station rotary automation that results in those wires, those 1,000 wires being placed onto a silicon wafer substrate to tolerances of one and a half microns of positional accuracy wire to wire. There's eight fixtures, 28 cameras, uh, 100% inspecting every station in multiple planes to again ensure uh, CPK 1.33 or better. So really having that skill set allows us to make parts that are end-to-end on the backside of the molding machine and bring larger parts to that small enabling part to keep that datum structure intact and reduce error in uh, automated assemblies. Another one that comes to mind is uh, a C-coil that we did was a 7,000th wall peak material, polyether ether ketone, which is a very difficult material to, to create thin walls. It's an inch and a half long with several side actions that kind of create spring forces like a stent that's required for a pediatric esophageal stent. That was, again, amazing aspect ratio of you know, length to thickness, and they were thought to be impossible, but was absolutely possible. Fantastic. Thank you for the time, Donna Bibber, for being on the podcast. And a thank you, of course, to Isometric Micro Molding for sponsoring this episode of Medtronic Talks. Once again, if you'd like to find out more about Isometric Micro Molding, go to isomicro.com. That's I-S-O-M-I-C-R-O.com. Can we go into the origins of the current iteration of, of Link and the so-called deep miniaturization effort, I love the term, that allowed Link to become as, as small as it is and, and to do all that it does? What was the significant about what Medtronic was able to do with Link? Yeah, so for the past, actually, 10 to 15 years, Medtronic has been investing heavily in deep miniaturization, and specifically for the implantable cardiac monitor space, the company invested and then launched in 2014 uh, the product that was co- that is called Reveal Link. Mm-hmm. It was almost 80% smaller than the traditional standard of care. Wow. And at the same time, actually, that's an interesting story. I was working on the sister program that was also leveraging some of this deep miniaturization technology that was called the Micra Pacemaker Program, where we were trying to reduce the size of the pacemaker by 90%. And by doing that, 
removing the wires that, that creates a lot of the problems with, with pacemaker implants. So we were using some of the same technology and we had these two programs, one in the, the therapeutic space with the pacemaker and one in the diagnostic space with the link. And the aim was really to make the implant easier for the physician and the technology less impactful in terms of side effects and for the patient. And mm -hmm. specifically for Link, what it did, it made the, the, the implant so easy and it made the acceptance of patients so, uh, so much easier because it's such a small device that all of a sudden we saw the, the number of patients that would accept and, and the, the utilization of this technology to grow a lot, a lot uh, faster than, than before. And now we have a new version of this, this link that is called the Link2 technology that has you know, new hardware and new capabilities that can do a lot more, more sensor and, and data sharing. But that step was essential to make this technology a lot more accessible to a lot more patients by making it easier and less invasive, basically. Mm -hmm. Talk about the size. I, I see it on the website. I kind of envision like a AA battery or something. I don't know if that's off, off size. How large are the Link products? Yeah, it's a third of the size of the AAA battery. That honestly, that's once you, yeah, once you have it in, <laughs> first of all, the implant really lasts five minutes. It's it's more time to to just you know clean the area and make everything sterile. And then once you have it, you know it's basically it's really difficult to see. And patients, you really like the comfort because they don't. That's amazing. Yeah, and I, I read somewhere that Link was being used. Uh, I think in tracking bears or certain wildlife that uh, it's small enough that it can be implanted and then used for studies, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that was a side project that's super fascinating of, of one of our lead scientists that work in collaboration with the University of Minnesota and, and some other entities outside of my tribe to, to really characterize what's happening in some of these mammals and, uh, and to understand some of the, uh, for example, the hibernation processes in bears. You know, bears are mammals and, and their heart rate goes down and they keep still, you know, brain functions. I mean, if, if your heart rate goes down, your brain will be damaged pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, but in a bear, they, they have some proteins that pr protect the brains. And so it's, it's really fascinating research that, you know, down the road could actually benefit also humans. But it's not our, our main commercial goal. <laughs> it's a fascinating research that I had to ask about that. Yeah. And you could certainly see maybe stroke, stroke prevention or thing. But anyway, we'll, we'll get back on topic. But Sanjeev, so again, we talked to, with Julie last year about the reorganization when things were sort of still fresh. But uh, I'd love to find out we're a year almost removed from that podcast. What has the reorganization allowed you to do in terms of building out business strategy? We hit upon a little bit, I think, with the earlier question. But I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Yeah. So if you went back to the value of the reorganization, one of the things that was really trying to push forward was how do you play big and play small? So we have historically, and this, this business is 20 years old, it was embedded into the core cardiac rhythm management business. And it's a growth business. You know, it's a, it's a significant size. It's got significant opportunity embedded into, into the core CRM what you find is, is, is that it can be underfunded and particularly to take advantage of some of the key opportunities that we see in front of us. So from our perspective, a, a few things really become evident. One is that we see this vision to drive into disease management in a big way and to really build on this opportunity to grow from a diagnostic tool to something more significant. Two, that I think Medtronic sees this business as the tip of the spear with regards to the utilization of data. How do you really get into this view of uh, becoming more consumer-driven or tackling 
a broader set of patients. One of the things that Jeff Martha has always mentioned is that he would love to be able to grow this business, Medtronic broadly, from touching 80 million patients a year to 800. And so that move to becoming bigger means that it's not just chronic diseases. You need to be thinking about your patient populations in a different manner. You have to go upstream in the ability to touch a broader swath of patients. And our business can be the tip of the spear to get us there. And the opportunity to think about the reorganization is differential funding to take advantage of those opportunities. And and we've seen a couple within our pipeline already that we've been data oriented. We have a a few things that have been data enabled to touch on patient pools differently and to grow our markets differently than maybe we would have if we were embedded into the core CRM market. Interesting. Is one of those areas clinical trials? You had had an app-based clinical trial going on. At least your link was being used in that, correct? Yes. So we do have an app-based clinical trial going on called Define AF that allows us to engage and partner with uh, an Apple, the creation of an Apple app to enroll patients in a very different manner. So that's part of it. So the ability to look at how we think about clinical trials and fund them is, is clearly one of them. What I was really going is uh, differential approaches on the R&D side and projects that we may take on that we wouldn't have been able to do maybe under the CRM umbrella. So as we think about our cadence of product introductions, Julie did talk to you about the introduction of Accurhythm AI, and we have a pipeline of AI products. We have a pipeline of core hardware products that um, we're very proud of. Uh, I I can't divulge a lot here, but I would say that uh, we have enhanced the frequency or the cadence that we anticipate introducing products on an accelerated basis. Fascinating. Let's talk, I want to circle back in a moment and talk about the diagnosis versus disease management and what the differences of those are. But but Leo, if you could talk a little bit about AI and AccuRhythm and how does that fit into the product development and the design and, and what does that allow you to do? Yes. I mean, artificial intelligence, it, it, it's one of the key areas of innovations that is, is both exciting in terms of what it allows you to do and, and it's, it's an area of, of great attention and investment for us. Accurate AI was the first algorithm that we released in the market approximately a year ago. And the first step for us is to make sure that we get to the physician, to the clinician, really accurate data. And, and to do that, artificial intelligence can help you, especially to re- remove events that are captured by the device, but they are not clinically relevant. So, for example, false positive, what, what usually we call false positives. Because the device tends to collect a lot of the data because you never want to miss a true event because that's the real event that clinically, you know, you want the physicians to see. But the downside of that strategy is that often you get a lot of these false positives and that drives a lot of burden for the clinic because they have to review them. And so the ability to use artificial intelligence to reduce dramatically the number of these false positives really allows the clinic to focus only on the events that are true and that really matter that drive clinical action. And, and so, you know, with this first version, we were able to reduce the number of false positives by more than 75%. Wow. And uh, the reaction from physicians and clinics have been really, you know, strong in, in, in a positive way because especially after COVID, you know, one of the main problems that these clinics, clinics have is lack of people. I mean, they don't have yeah. enough workforce and, and they don't have enough specialist nurses, not enough doctors. 
So, you know, to see that type of innovation where with a flip of a switch, you know, one night to the other, we reduce the burden of work for them by a significant amount was a really valuable thing. And so that's one area where we are focusing on AI, really to, to get accuracy of data. But then there's also a future step that, you know, AI in general, artificial intelligence in general, is really a tool to understand patterns and to get more information and insights from data that you have available. And so there are opportunities to use artificial intelligence, not only to, to increase efficacy of the clinic, but also to get new insights from the data that we have that we cannot get today. And that's where, in a sense, the holy grail is that at a certain point, we can become predictive. So not only we're waiting passively to see for an event to happen, but we, we can capture enough information to tell you, hey, you know, in two or three days, you may have a heart failure hospitalization. So you may want to be seen by a doctor or the doctor may want to do something with it because by doing something earlier, you can avoid a hospitalization down the road. And so those are some of the, the thoughts that we have be, behind our investments in artificial intelligence. That's fascinating. How does that play, Sanjeev, into, you talked earlier about the move into disease management. I'm sure AI will play a role in that as well. But what's the difference? That, what, how different a business is diagnosis from disease management? You're, both you're collecting data, but there's there's got to be some great variation between the two. Yeah, I, I think that, Tom, you're spot on. And uh, it is it is different. And so kind of a, as we think about our journey, algorithms and AI has been key with regards to our ability to drive and increase workflow for our three core indications, syncope, AF, and pause. But as I mentioned, the next foray is clearly into disease management. And the first one that we're going after is heart failure. We have a product called Link HF, and we have a clinical trial called the Leviate HF that really looks at expanding the capabilities of what's embedded into our Link2 platform with some additional features that it will capture. It will capture impedance, it will capture heart rate variability, it will capture nighttime heart rate, and essentially it produces a risk score. And the thought being is, is that uh, if you can identify patients uh, well ahead of a hospitalization event, can you have the physician or even in some degree the patient self-adjust medications to reduce hospitalization. That's really the intent of what we're trying to study with the Alleviate HF trial is does the utilization of Link HF result in a reduced level of hospitalizations and a better course of outcomes for that patient with heart failure? We recently received breakthrough designation from the FDA for the Link HF ICM. And so, you know, I think that that's really our first journey, our first step in the journey around disease management, we see the opportunity to touch on an increased level of sensors into our devices. So not just impedance, but we're incorporating in our next generation, a number of additional sensors that will be kind of broadening into the ability to look at, for example, COPD patients or sleep apnea or kind of a number of other things that become relevant. You can even envision the ability to touch on patients that receive dialysis, that incorporation of link into a patient pool, kind of broadly around some of those other chronic segments. So we see a great opportunity to, in terms of where this can go, heart failure being step one in the broader journey. That's fascinating. So how different is it on the, on the business side? You listed off a lot of areas where you, I was going to ask if you had new call points, new physicians you'd be working with, not call points, but new physician partners that you'd be working with new, I guess, reimbursement measures that you need to take? I mean, this sounds like a whole new wide open field for you to run in. 
Yeah, clearly it is. And so part of this is we need to demonstrate this, the technology work first and foremost. But in the process of building out the business plans, you've touched on what's it going to cost us to build out the clinical evidence necessary, potentially create a channel, leverage a channel that may exist elsewhere within Medtronic, or do we partner to create that channel as well? But those are all open questions that uh, as we look on the journey of where a link or an implantable sensor uh, could go, that's part of it. Fantastic. And going back, Leo, to the future on, on a technical side of things, uh, you've already made this device that's a third of the size of a AAA battery. So I don't know if you can get much smaller than that without losing it. Where do the advances come from? I mean, employing AI technology, but what what else are you working on to add to the Link platform to to enable it to accomplish the things it'll need to accomplish in the future? Yeah, so I think a couple of the areas we're working on is is really increase the number of biometric signals that we can get from from the body. Right now, most of our applications are based on our ability to sense well the heart and so to to have the EKG of the heart on a continuous fashion. But down the road, and and as Sanjeev was mentioning, already in the Link Heart Fighter program, we're we're leveraging other sensors that can give you a sense uh, of, for example, of the respiration, uh, rates of the patients or, uh, for example, of the fluid intake of the patient. And so the more we can make this little device a measurement of a variety of biometrics, the, the more complete of a picture we can give to the physician or to the patient down the road uh, of their condition. And we can cross-reference some of these, these uh, biometrics and making sure that we understand the difference from one type of syncope or the other, or maybe a heart failure uh, exacerbation versus a chronic obstructive uh, pulmonary disease exacerbation. And so we can really get a, a much better picture of the patient. The other piece is that we will generate more and more data and so the question is, how do we make sure we, we're not going to have more and more doctors or more and more nurses to, to read all this data? And so the question is, how do you use artificial intelligence and data management capabilities to really nail down what is high, accurate, and uniquely valuable data, uh, valuable data and then present that to the appropriate physician? And, you know, as you were hinting before, if we move, for example, in the heart failure space, usually the physician that will use the the data is different than the traditional physician that puts the device in. And so how do you manage this data between these different physician specialties? And and as as we expand, this will be one of the key challenges because we don't have lack of data. The problem is how do we make sure you get the right data to the right individual can can make the right clinical decision? And so AI is a tool that we can use there, but there's also a you know, way, way to make the data digestion and, and much easier and intuitive for, for the clinicians and down the road also for patients. Fascinating. There's a lot of opportunity here for CDS, and I'm uh, grateful for you both uh, for coming on the podcast and uh, telling us about them. Thank you for being part of the podcast. Thank you, Tom. This was uh, fun. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Medtronic Talks. Thanks, of course, to our guests, Leo Rapalini and Sanjeev Aurora of Medtronic's CDS Group. This couldn't have happened without the support of Isometric Micro Molding. So please go to isomicro.com for more information. And finally, please don't miss any future episodes of the Medtronic Talks podcast. You can subscribe on any major podcast player, Amazon, Google, Spotify, Apple, any one of them. You'll be able to subscribe 
or like or follow, and you'll have future episodes sent directly to you. And you'll also be fi- be able to find past episodes as well. Past episodes can also be found on devicetalks.com and medtronic.com. While you're at devicetalks.com, please check out our agenda for the Device Talks West meeting, which is happening on October 19th and 20th in Santa Clara. We'll have many great speakers from Medtronic, including Brett Wall, Executive Vice President and President of Medtronic's Neuroscience Group. So lots going on in Santa Clara on October 19th and 20th. Please go to devicetalks.com for more information. Once again, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us. Tune in next time. We'll have another great episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast waiting for you. Bye.